morning, everybody. Uh, welcome to Great Commission Community Church. So good to be with you on this beautiful morning. Um, if you are able, let's stand and read aloud together this call to worship that comes from Psalm 27, verses 1 and 4. Um, I will read the italics part, and then you can follow with the regular text. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are here indeed seeking one thing, and that is to see you, to dwell in your house to be with you. It is you. We are gathered here for you today. Holy Spirit, fill us. Come inhabit the praises of your people. Amen. Please remain standing as we
thank you so much for your presence here this morning, God. Uh, Lord, we, we know that you um, meet each and every one of us exactly um, where you know is best for us. Lord, you encounter every one of us in every season of life, in every walk of life. Um, so God, I just speak your name over every single person in this room. Um, I speak your name that um, you would provide healing to those who are hurting. Um, I speak your name that you provide freedom to those who feel like they're captive. Um, I just pray that you just, yeah, break free of um, all the sin and the evil and all the suffering that um, that's in this room, God, and I uh, speak just freedom and your name over all of us, Jesus. Um, yeah, thank you, Lord, that um, your abundant love is um, forever and always um, yeah, promised to us, God. Um, yeah, you just never fail, God, and you just continue to um, fight our battles for us, God, and you um, tell us that we have the victory, um, even though you have fought everything for us, God. So we thank you so much for your love and your um, overflowing grace and mercy. Um, and we just pray uh, that, yeah, you just touch um, every heart in this room today, Lord. Um, in Jesus' name I pray. Good morning. Uh, it's, it's always a great privilege worshiping together uh, as the church, and so we love it that you're here together with us this morning. Uh, we just have a few community sharing things. Um, uh, our church truly believes in uh, the gift, the privilege, and the power of intercession, uh, and so this Tuesday, we're going to be praying uh, over the war in Gaza and so uh, we would love for you to join us for that. That's going to be 8 p.m. Uh, on Zoom. You can find it under Cause uh, on our website. Uh, on next Sunday, uh, we have child dedication. Uh, so for those uh, who are interested in dedicating your child, uh, you're, you're saying, Lord, my, my child is, is, is not mine, but my, my kid is, is yours. Uh, and so if, if that's you, uh, there's a, a class on Wednesday uh, on Zoom. Please sign up online for that. Uh, this Saturday is, pulk, is, 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 is Turkey Bowl, and I believe we have an awesome video for you, so let's play that.
wow, we have jet flyovers and Taylor Swift. So, so Saturday, make sure you come out, um, sign up online. Uh, we ask that if, if, if you're coming, please sign up as soon as possible because uh, they want to uh, make teams. Uh, this is, again, all, all age ranges, all, all levels of, of playing, uh, and it's co-ed. Uh, there's also an optional uh, game for those under 16 uh, if they want to play together. So uh, you can find it under community uh, in our website. All right, uh, our church also believes uh, that God has called each of us here and collectively uh, as a local church, GCCC, to bring about his redemption. Uh, and so uh, we've identified two communities here in Arlington and one in Tyson's that have a lot of felt needs. And so uh, one of them here in Arlington is in the Chirilagua neighborhood in Arlandria. And so uh, I just met with one of the directors this past week, uh, and he was sharing how this is actually one of the central gateways uh, for Central Americans to come. And so they usually come here first before they disperse elsewhere. And so if, uh, if, if you're living, um, uh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's, that's why it's, it's, it's such a, a crucial and important place. Uh, and he was sharing that actually most of them work here in Arlington. And so uh, if, if, you, if you live here, if, if you work here, if you hang out here, these are our, our direct neighbors. They come and work here uh, and then go home to Chirilagua. And so uh, there's a ministry there that who we partner with called Casa Chirilagua, and they've been doing an amazing work. Uh, I hope one day we, we can share about how just by faith they just followed the Lord into that neighborhood and started this ministry, but they really go and just meet, meet their needs, what, what the community's needs are. Uh, they just go, and all the staff members are living there, so they, they know the joys of the community. They know the, the hurts and the sorrows of the community. Uh, and so um, one of the things they're doing over this holiday season is they have uh, a Christmas party uh, they're holding to just bless the local community. And so they've asked us, uh, we're one of their, their, their key ministry partners, uh, to come and volunteer for the event. So that's help with setting up, that's help with serving food, uh, that's help with cleaning. And so uh, please consider um, um, helping. It's December 9th. You can find the, the link uh, on our website uh, under cause. And then second, uh, at our Tyson site, there's uh, a community that we've identified called Tyson's View Apartments. And over 300 families live in this community. And the vast majority are um, uh, with subsidized housing and are they're just going by with, with assistance. And so uh, as a church, we've identified that uh, we would love to just bless them with a Thanksgiving meal. Uh, and so um, we're going to be preparing Thanksgiving baskets for them filled with staples, canned goods, um, stuffing, a, a gift card for a turkey. Uh, and so uh, each of these baskets uh, costs $40. Uh, and uh, we're, we're asking the church uh, to prayerfully consider if you want to sponsor one of these baskets. Uh, the, the deadline to do so, I think uh, we're, we're so blessed. I think we've already raised over $4,600 um, for them. Uh, and so that covers around like a third of the families. And so we would ask if you would prayerfully consider uh, giving. Uh, the deadline to give is this Wednesday. Uh, you can find that link uh, uh, under our giving, uh, under cause. 
Um, and there's also different ways uh, to serve uh, there too as they're uh, buying things uh, for the baskets. I think this Saturday they're going to go out and, and buy the things. Uh, and then Sunday before service at Tyson's at 9 a.m., they're going to put the baskets together and pray over them. Uh, and then Tuesday from 4 to 6, they're actually going to go to Tyson's View Apartments and hand them out to families. And so if you would love to be part of that process, uh, you can reach out to uh, myself uh, or the Flemings uh, and right here, sitting right here, waving. Uh, and yeah, oh, wow, it's so encouraging here. Um, but we'll get you connected to how you can help. Um, women's retreat, uh, if you sign up, we're interested. Uh, we did not have it last week, um, but save the date. We're having it May 3rd through 5th. Uh, it's going to be at Sandy Cove. Uh, there's going to be more info on the website soon, but save the date, May 3rd through 5th, Women's Retreat. Uh, missions giving. Uh, we are partnered with a ministry, um, uh, uh, international workers in Cambodia, uh, who, if you've been part of our church, uh, you've known that we've We've helped build a, a clinic there, uh, and uh, there's actually uh, more needs uh, that, that that ministry is seeing. Uh, one is in their provincial hospital in Stung Treng. Uh, they actually uh, have a limited number of, of bathrooms, and so they don't have enough bathrooms for people who come to the hospital. And so we would love to partner with them. Uh, a completion of this project is about $40,000, and so we're asking if you would prayerfully consider uh, partnering uh, with them to help provide this hospital bathrooms. Uh, again, you can find that uh, online uh, under our giving and cause tab. Uh, and uh, finally, there's a reminder that uh, at the end of service, we're going to be doing uh, an emergency evacuation practice. Uh, we highly encourage you to, to stay for that just so that us as a community we're, we're prepared together uh, in the event that something happens. So that'll be near the end of service. And so we encourage you to please stay for that. Um, our church doesn't have a traditional offering box. Uh, we, we do all our giving online. Uh, we would love that, that giving to be a, a joyful and, and willing giving. Uh, and so uh, I'm going to be saying a prayer uh, over our offering. Let's pray. God, I thank you that you have given us just so much for us to steward uh, for you, uh, for us to do good uh, in all things that you've given us. And you've asked us to steward our, our time, our money, and we ask that you would use all of these things for your glory and for your kingdom. God, use it here locally in Arlington, in Tyson's. God, the communities and peoples uh, who have a lot of felt needs, that God, that you would use us to be your hands and your feet, providing in abundance for them. Uh, and around the world, that God, thank you that you've connected us to those around the world who have needs. So God, would you continue to use our church, God, to be your hands and your feet, bringing your healing, your redemption, here in this world. God, thank you for that privilege. Pray all these things in Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. All right, good morning. I'm Jonathan, one of the pastors. I'm usually at Tyson's, but I'm, it's always fun to be here. 
Um, so if you don't know, my parents were missionaries, so I grew up all over the world. And for since I was in like fourth grade, I went to a school called Black Forest Academy, which is basically a missionary kid boarding school. I uh, had different experiences there. So one of the things that was a tradition um, of this school is something we called creaking, um, which was basically like uh, if it was your birthday or if you were just on somebody's nerves, people would gather together and they would grab you and forcibly throw you into a creek, um, hence the name creaking. Um, it was meant in all good fun and love and all these things, but especially if you were like, hey, you were like, you know, in junior high or a freshman and you've just come to school, like, they would really target you. So I remember uh, I was in eighth grade. Uh, we were in this dorm. There's like 40 guys in the dorm. We actually had a PA system so people could get on there and just like say, hey, we're playing basketball outside or whatever they wanted to say. So I had been in the elementary dorms so that I've been at this school since like fourth grade. So I knew about creaking. I knew about this happening. I knew that they would target people. So somebody that I could, could kind of, you know, you could almost hear the laughter in his voice. He's like, hey, if you're like a junior higher, come down. We're going to do like a fun event. And I was like, that ain't a fun event. <laughs> I was like, that's totally going to be like creaking. And I told my friends who were there, I was like, yeah, I think they're going to creak. He's like, nah, it's going to be fun. So I remember being at a window watching as these other guy go down and then literally seeing, yep, they're being dragged off. Yeah. And they got thrown in the creek. Um, and then the guy got back on and he's on the PA and he's like, yeah, they started naming names of people they know they hadn't yet creaked. And they were like trying to get them down. And if you didn't go down, they actually like went and found you and they like grabbed you and they threw you in the creek. And People usually had fun with it, but I remember thinking, like, okay, when's my time coming? Like, I'm here, I'm in, like, you know, eighth grade, I'm not that, you know, these other guys, they seem like giants, you know, I was like, there's no way I'm going to be able to stop them from throwing me in the creek, but my, never, my name never came, and I was like, oh, okay, somehow I, like, dodged the creaking bullet, you know, I was like, oh, I don't know what happened. But then I found out later there was a guy who had been in the elementary dorm with me when we were younger, and he was older, and when they were going through the names of, like, the, the new guys, they were like, oh, so was like, oh, we got a creek, Jonathan. This guy's like, nah, he's, he's cool, he's cool. I went to, you know, I, I've been to school with him. I was like, we don't need to creek him. So they're like, okay. So they just skipped it on. And I was like, hey, I never got creek. So I actually went to this school where all these people always got creek, and I was like, I actually never got creek. But it's only because this one guy intervened on my behalf, and I never had to experience that. Um, and so today we're actually going to look at, yeah, you're like, where are we going with this, right? How God's a God who intervenes on our behalf. And we're going to take a look at that and look at what does that mean for us, especially as we've been in this series on like worldview, how we look at the world, and honestly how important I think it is that we get this piece, that God is one who intervenes on our behalf. So we're going to take a look at um, Genesis chapter 11. So uh, there's a story here in Genesis 11. In case you weren't here last week or you haven't read uh, these stories before, just as a very quick sum up, God's created the world, human sin. Um, so then, you know, all the sin enters the world. We get exiled. People begin to choose evil. We get so evil that God wipes out everything except for one family um, through a flood. And then he comes to them and he restarts with them and we were kind of looking at that last week and so now that restart has begun to happen and as part of that restart after the flood God gave all the people he said hey this is kind of the command he's given them. He said, hey be fruitful multiply fill the earth right go and fill like the whole earth that's sort of what he's left with them and so with that in mind let's pick it up here in uh, verse 1 of chapter 11 so it says now the whole earth 
had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to, to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they all have one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they have uh, purposed to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and there confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. Now, I got to confess, I, I grew up uh, in churches all my life, going to Bible school, all these things. A lot of times when I read this, I always kind of left puzzled. I was always kind of like, what is going on here? Because at a very cursory reading, as you read this, you're kind of like, okay, this is what you see. You see, hey, people are coming together. That sounds okay, right? They're like, hey, let's let's do something together. Let's be unified together. Let's do this project together. Let's all come together. It all sounds good, right? So it's like, hey, there's this unifying thing happening, and we're going to make this big tower so that we can all be together and stay unified together. And then God's here being like, this isn't good. I'm just going to confuse them. And language comes in and goes over. And I was always just kind of like, what? Like, uh, maybe you're there, maybe you're not. Maybe you're just like, oh, I always got this. But I think this is one of those that, for those of us who grew up in the church, it's like one of those Bible Sunday school stories where you're just like, yeah, babble. Like, we all babble. Like, that's kind of what it le leaves with. And you're like, I, I don't get it. But I, I think we need to understand something about what's happening here, okay? Because I think one of the first things that we need to be mindful of as we look at this is actually kind of the heart motive and intent and thinking through, like, where people are. Uh, because... First of all, remember, as I mentioned, the one command God had given them after Noah here was be fruitful, multiply, and fill the whole earth, right? So they know this, okay? The people know that this is something they've been given to do. This is, hey, it's just go and fill the earth. And so here they are, and they go, oh, look at this, this plain. Look at this area. I bet we could settle here. And you know what? If we make this big tower and this big city, we don't have to go anywhere. We don't have to go fill the earth. We don't have to be dispersed and go all these other places. Because if we stop here and we create a way for us to do this thing, then we can all just stay put right here, effectively not obeying what God asked them to do. And, and if you notice there, it says, actually says, oh, you know what we're going to do? We're going to make a tower as part of this city that reaches to the heavens, like to the, to the place of God, basically. In a sense, they're saying, and why do they want to do that? It doesn't say like, oh, to keep us safe or to keep us warm or, or even to keep us unified. No, it says, because we want to make a name for ourselves. Basically, what you can see here, if you're kind of looking carefully, is the people here, it's, no, no, no. We want to glorify ourselves. We want to magnify ourselves, our name, become famous. And even this idea of this, like, Tower of the Heights, this kind of feeling of, like, basically, we want to be like God. 
but not be like God, like in his character. You know, like I want to become like God and how he treats people. No, like I want to be a God is basically kind of the thought process here. So here's this group of people. They're coming together. Say we've, we've figured out a way that we can make this happen technologically with bricks. We're going to make this tower so that we can glorify ourselves, make a name for ourselves, be raised to the heavens like a God, and this will make it good for us. And I think if the, the early readers of this, I think they would have got this. They would have said, oh, no, it's happening again. They would have gone back to the story of Adam and Eve in the garden and taking the fruit. Why? Because it looked good in their eyes and they realized it would elevate them. And so they took it and they ate it. And then they would have gone back to the stories before the flood of how all of humanity had chosen of their own volition over time. It led to this cycle where now all the intent of their heart was evil and there was no good on the face of the earth because everyone had pursued their own desires to such an extent that destruction was inevitable. And so when this story happens, it's not just some story like, oh, great, they're all getting unified. No, this is like the beginning of a cycle of a pattern of destruction that humanity has shown so far in the story of creation that says, hey, they come together, and at some point, they see something they want, they decide good in their own eyes, they make themselves like God, and then once they do that, it's all downhill. And so we see this story here that goes, oh yeah, okay, it looks sort of good, but actually this is not, no, this is the beginning of the end, really. And so as readers who, you know, just a couple chapters before, you've been like, oh yeah, we know where this goes, this goes to the flood, this goes to destruction, this goes to the end of all things. And so one of the things we have to keep in mind here, and, and actually I think part of these early things, and if you read more of the Bible, you'll see this, is that the reality is for humanity, there is a cycle or pattern of destruction that we choose into. It goes back to what Pastor Carl was talking to last week about how we should not underestimate the power of the corruption of humanity, of the sin in our lives and what it does to us and where the corruption will lead us. And so if you have that in your mind, the reality is, is that cycles of these things repeat where people as, as a society, as people continually to choose things that are not of God, it leads darker and darker, more destructive, all of these things. And we see it time and again. And so here's this moment. It's the beginning moment. There isn't a whole bunch of evil that you see actually depicted here. But people would have recognized, oh, it's the same thing. We're starting down the same path. It's all going to happen again. But then the interesting thing is, God steps in. Right, so what we see here is it says, hey, all this is happening they're putting themselves up as God. They're making a name for themselves. They're ignoring God's commands. They're deciding what's good in their own eyes. And then God says, oh, okay, you know what? I see what they're doing. And they're capable of so much. But because I know they're capable of so much, if they stay together like this, staying in the city, not doing what I've asked them to do, I know it's going to lead to destruction. And so you know what? We're going to confuse their language. We're going to confuse their language 
and help them scatter and actually fill the earth. Now, one way to look at that would be kind of like, wow, this sounds like a curse, like something like, wow, what is this? Is language a curse? And I think that would be a misreading of this because, see, I think if you get in your mind that there's a cycle of destruction, if these people are actually beginning that cycle of destruction over again, this is actually a merciful and gracious act of God intervening and stopping the cycle in that moment, or at least delaying it. Because see what he's doing, he's saying, hey, right now you've all chosen into this sin together. You've all decided to become a kind of group together, and I know where that leads. And he says, you know what, this time I'm going to step in earlier, and I'm going to say, no. I'm going to give you different languages, which means you're going to find each other, and you're going to go to different places, and it will stop this sin pattern right now because you will not be able to, without having the same language and all being unified together, to continue down this current And so God steps in and intervenes and really, I think, in a merciful, gracious way says, I'm going to help you do what I asked you to do. And it says he disperses them over the face of the earth, not, I think, as a punishment, but as as an actually like this was what it was supposed to look like. So by coming and giving you that, you'll notice that this time. No one dies. There's no violence. There's no harsh, judgmental, wrathful situation, although maybe their actions might have deserved it. That's not actually what's happening here. It's a very gracious, very mild, very just, hey, I came and I did something so that you would actually go and do what is required, that you would do what is needed in this circumstance. And then there isn't this crazy like flood, repeating, destruction moment happening over again, at least here it doesn't happen. And I think it's because God intervened in this moment, giving us language, breaking up that moment. Now, I think why this is really important to get here is this. Is for a lot of people, remember, we're thinking about like worldviews, right? A lot of people's idea of who God is or how the world was set up or all of these kinds of things are, a lot of them are not a God that intervenes. People who even believe in a God or a superpower or a higher power, oftentimes they'll think, oh, maybe a God created something. I've even heard Christians say stuff like this, like, oh, yeah, God created something, but then he just kind of sits back like on his couch eating popcorn, watching and saying, oh, that was an interesting decision. And we kind of maybe like, oh, that's kind of silly. But at the same time, we think, like, no, no, God doesn't really intervene. He just sort of set it up and let it go. And now we're just reaping the repercussions of our actions. And if that's the God that we serve, then that's not a God who intervenes. That's not a God who would see this happening and say, oh, I'm going to step in and give you a way that, that the cycle is not just going to repeat. I'm actually going to do something about it. But that's what we see in our God. Or people who believe more in sort of like a force or mother nature or something that's just very neutral. Like there's just no, like it's just there and things happen, but that's how it came about. And so you're just sort of like, oh, well, there's, you can't really expect that that force would do anything in your life, would actually take your side, you know, or help you out in any way. And so it's just sort of there. And so when bad things happen, there's no real hope there that what you believe in would change. 
But that's not the God that we serve. That's not the God that we believe in. It's not the God that we see laid out in Scripture right here in this story, but also throughout all of Scripture. It's not the God who's revealed himself to us. The God that we who has revealed himself to us is the God who intervenes constantly on, on behalf of his people. Now, here's the problem with this on one level. We live in a time, we, we, say this, we say this pretty regularly, but we live in a time where God is completely sovereign. He is always sovereign, but he lives, we live in a time where he is allowing for sin to be present, for us to make our own decisions in a way that leads to death and destruction and the corruption of our own hearts. And he allows that to happen until he comes again. And so we live in this time where there's like this already and not yet where God is here and present and his kingdom is here and God intervenes, but he also allows for our own corruption to sway things. And we don't always understand, often never really understand when God decides to intervene and when he doesn't decide to intervene and how all of that works, and we don't understand it. And so that's hard for us. If we're honest, it is hard for us to process how can a God be a God who intervenes but didn't intervene when it mattered to me? Or how can we believe in a God who intervenes but doesn't intervene in this situation in a way that makes sense to me? And that is hard. But the reality is, is that we serve a God who does intervene. And if we believe that, then it actually changes, I believe, the way we go about our lives. How we live. See, if you believe, and I believe that I have a, I have a God, supernatural, all-powerful God, who intervenes on the behalf as I ask him to or because he decides to, then I would start thinking, oh, no, no, no. Now I'm going to ask God to intervene for things that are important. Because he can do that. Because he might want to do that. And so now I'm going to think, oh, no, no, this is different. God might actually want to intervene in this circumstance. And I might actually be able to have hope that if I ask him to, he could do it. Is that the kind of relationship that you have with God? We are actively asking him to and hoping for him to intervene in your world and the world around you? Or are we more like others who just think, eh, God's not interested, he doesn't care. God's not a God who actually steps in. See, if we really believe this, like we mentioned on Tuesday, we're going to have this time of prayer. And, and actually, we're having this time of prayer uh, kind of focused on some of the war that is happening and all of that. And that's this week. But every week that we're praying, we're often interceding for others, which is really this idea of saying we are praying for God to intervene in the lives of the people around us, in our community, in our church, in our lives, we're asking God to do something. And when we gather to pray, we believe that God listens and that if it's within his will, that he will actually change things. That he will bring about something new because we asked him to. Because he desires to. Because he wants to bring glory to his name. But we believe it because we believe this simple truth that God is a God who intervenes. See, I think when we begin to get that, then all of a sudden prayer meeting, I mean, I'll be honest, I grew up in all these kinds of prayer meetings. A lot of prayer meetings I went to, I slept through them because they were boring and I couldn't stay awake, okay? 
Maybe some of you are there and you're like, yes, I don't understand how you could ever pray for more than like five minutes. And why are you still talking about this? Right. It's just like. But here's the thing for me, it began to shift when I started to get this concept. That God intervenes. And coupling that with the concept that is that God has promised that if we are abiding in him, that if we remain in him, that if we ask for anything in his name, by his will, that he will grant us whatever we wish so that he would be glorified. He's a God who intervenes. And if you really believe that in the core of your being, then when you hear, oh, I could gather to pray, you could say, wow, you mean if we gather to pray, God might change something? Yes. In, in 2 Chronicles, when they're de dedicating the temple, they say, hey, they're saying, hey, God, please hear us when we pray in this place. And God actually comes and says, actually, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways and seek my face, then I will hear from heaven and I will heal their land. That's the God that we serve, and that's the God that we believe in. And so if we really get this, that God is a God who intervenes, then we should be a people who call for God to intervene. We should be a people who are actively pursuing for God's miraculous, merciful, gracious intervention in our lives, in the lives of people around us, in the lives of people we have no knowledge of, like all the many wars that are happening. But I think part of the problem is we just don't really believe it. I remember I was in a seminary class, and I, it was about mission stuff and things, and there was the topic of kind of systemic poverty came up and all these things. And I remember the class, maybe 20 students were all there, everybody about my age. Um, and the professor was asking us, do you think this could ever change? And basically all of us very pessimistic was like, no, nah, it's never going to change. And he got so upset at us. He was like, what's wrong with you guys? He's like, we follow Jesus. You should have hope that God could change this. I remember I was like, oh, yeah, I guess that's what I supposedly believe. But clearly not, because all of us are like, nah, that's never going to change. Now, there are problems in this world that are complex and, and hard. And like I just said earlier, we don't know why God does and doesn't intervene in, in every situation or not situation. But we can have hope. And belief that as we call on his name, as we abide in him, that he could. But do we believe it? See, it doesn't really matter if I believe it for you. I, I can't believe it for you. But if you begin to believe that God could intervene in your life or in the lives of those around you or just in the world in general, as you call on his name, as you ask him to pray, your prayer life will change. Your outlook on life will change because you will see tragedy and you'll begin to think, I need to pray for this. You'll see hardship and you'll think, God, please do something about that. You'll see sorrow and pain and you'll begin to think, God, please show up. Your desire for Christ to come back will increase because you'll think, God, when you come back, you'll make all things new. And that's the ultimate intervention of God coming back and saying, okay, enough is enough. I'm wiping the slates clean, and it's all going to be good. Because our God's a God who intervenes. Do you believe it? I remember um, I have five kids. 
uh, four kids, uh, we had them very quick. They're, we had five kids under five years. You can figure out that later. But um, with the fourth or the fifth kid, um, all the other ones had gone smooth, no problems of any kind. With the fifth kid, we were like in the second trimester, and we were at an ultrasound, you know, just typical, normal thing. And um, if any of you are ultrasound technicians, don't be like this ultrasound technician. Um, so we're doing it, and all of a sudden, this woman just looks at us and goes, oh, that, that, uh, oh. And we're like, what? She's like, well, there's an unidentified mass here. And I was like, unidentified? I was like, that is like the worst thing you could say to a parent right there. You're like, uh, what does that even mean? I'm thinking of like cancers or different things. She's like, I don't know. She's like, you're going to have to go to like a specialty ultrasound where they'll be able to tell you what it is. So then for like a week, we're like, what is this? Turns out they're like, well, we're not entirely sure because there's only so much you can figure out on an ultrasound. But like, we're pretty sure that basically um, his intestines aren't like connected inside. And we're like, oh, that does not sound good. Like, yeah, it's not good. So at that point, all of a sudden, all this like, you have no idea, right? We're parents. Like, I have no idea what's going to happen. And we said, it's okay. We, if it's this problem, if it actually is this problem, we can probably take care of it and have to do surgery like right after he's born, all this stuff. But it'll be okay. You know, it'll be fine. We said, but, you know, if this happens, chances are, like, it's going to take, like, months before he's going to be able to come home because that's just, like, part of this process. And so we're like, oh, my goodness. So I was just really kind of upset. Now, for us, it was – we felt like God was with us because we, at that point, we hadn't told anybody, but we had picked his name. His name is uh, Samuel Frederick Thornton. Samuel means God hears. Frederick means Prince of Peace. And we felt like God spoke to us and said, I hear you. I'm giving you peace. But – with that, we just started asking God, God, please, please protect my, protect my son. Just show up and heal and do whatever needs to be done and, and just take care of this. And so we're just praying and begging God to do something. Even we didn't have the words and we just don't know. And I remember we were at a children's hospital in a waiting room. If you've ever been in just a children's hospital surgery waiting room, it's probably the most tense place I've ever been. It's not a fun place. Everyone around you, everyone's waiting there with a child in surgery. Not a great place. And just sitting there, you're trying to, like, be calm. But then he came through. He's like, okay, it's all right. We took care of it. He'll be all right. But then I remember they're like, yeah, you know, we'll have to, we'll have to wait and see. Because stuff of processing food, basically. Like, yeah, often it takes, like, over a week before they can finally, like, process anything. It's like, oh, okay. They said, and we'll have to wait to see when we can take him off the morphine. But we're just desperate. So we're just praying, okay, God, you know, show up, show up. Uh, he was off of morphine by, like, night number one. Was eating by, like, day number two. We took him home in a week. They had prepped us. Like, this is going to take months. He was fine, and we took him home in a week. And we were just like, God, you're so good. I knew, I was like, yeah, doctors did things. They did awesome things. Surgery was good. I'm not saying the doctors had no part in this. They did. But clearly, God was moving so that even all the doctors were looking at us and being like, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I'm shocked. I'm amazed. But yeah, you can take them home. Now, I share that with you to hopefully give you hope that this is the kind of God that we serve. I cannot guarantee you similar results. This is not a formula. This is not a you put in X, you get in Y, you know. No, but this is the kind of God that we serve. And so I'm imploring you, I'm asking you to believe 
that God is a God who intervenes. And if you see things in your life or in the lives of those around you where you want God to intervene, please ask him. Please go after him. Please trust and believe and have hope that he is the God of intervention. And pray for his ultimate return. So let's just do this for a minute. Um, I just want you to just take a moment. Is there anything in your heart that you have been afraid to bring to God? Anything in your heart that you've seen, whether that's for yourself or your own life, or maybe it's wars or other things, things that are weighing on you that you have not brought before our God and asked him to intercede, to intervene. Just let that come to him. I'm just going to give us a minute here. And I just want you, in your own words, right where you're at, silently before the Lord, take it to him. Ask him intervene and then I'll, I'll close this part in, in prayer as we come before you this morning. God, we confess that for some of us, we're angry. Because things seem hopeless. We're in pain. And we haven't seen you do or move in ways of intervention in our own lives or in the lives of those around us. And we don't know how to reconcile being a God of intervention with what we've experienced. We just bring that before you. God, some of us, we're not so angry as we are just despondent. We're hopeless. We don't, we don't even have the energy to believe that you could actually do something. Others of us are excited. We get it. God, wherever we are this morning, we just come before you and we lift our requests to you. We lift our hearts to you. God, we acknowledge that there are things in our own lives, in the lives of our loved ones, in the lives of the world at large that are beyond our capacity. 
that we cannot accomplish, that we cannot save, that we cannot heal, that we cannot redeem, that we cannot set free. There are things beyond our capacity, and we know this, and it burdens us, and it breaks us, and it pains us. But this morning, God, we, we desire to see you intervene because nothing is impossible for you desire to see you step in with your grace and your mercy and your love. And so for all the requests that are on our hearts this morning, we lift them before your throne and we ask you, God, Jesus, Holy Spirit, please intervene. Heal hearts, mend relationships, stop wars, Heal families. Intervene. We ask you. We implore you. We beg you. Intervene. Because we need you to. Others need you to. So as your children who are called by your name, we say we're sorry for anything we've done and we ask you, please, we seek your face. Intervene. Intervene, oh God. Praise you, Jesus. We'll continue to respond as we go through prayers together. today um, we'll project those words and you can read along as I say them or you can just listen in silence um, either way let's pray together with one heart through these words and after each little section I invite you to say out loud um, Lord have mercy or you can simply just say amen almighty merciful gracious God who is like you Lord, there is none like you. Your love endures forever. Though we know this, we in our weakness are prone to wander and forget who you are. We neglect your voice and the abundant life that Christ has given us. Lord, lead us back to you. Lord, have mercy. We confess and repent of turning to created things for our security and our salvation. We confess and repent of being more interested in making a name for ourselves rather than finding our identity and worth in you. Thank you for your great mercy to us in our foolishness and self-centeredness and division. You show your love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Amen. We're going to continue praying not just for ourselves, but the needs of our world, especially the violence in Gaza and the Middle East. Creator of all, we lament acts of terrorism and killing and violence against your creation, people made in your image, people whose worth can be known because Jesus died for us. We lament acts of retaliation. We cry out for justice and peace, bring miraculous healing from hatred and dehumanization that fuels so much violence. 
Lord, have mercy. We pray for the powerless in the region, for widows and orphans, for the many people displaced from their homes, and for those who are trapped, for the hungry, for the wounded, for the lost. We cry out for justice and restoration. Lord, have mercy. We pray for leaders in Palestine, Israel, the United States, Iran, Iraq, Lebanon, and more. Let them see through the lies of greed and revenge. We, with your suffering children around the world and over time, look to you for justice and a reckoning for those who revel in war. Lord, have mercy. We lament the hatred in this country in speech, in violence. We lament anti-Semitism and the anti-Muslim hatred. We don't have the right words or enough words in our prayer, God. Will you fill out our prayers on behalf of our Jewish and Palestinian neighbors and on behalf of our corrupt and cursed world? Lord, have mercy. God, when we don't know how to pray, your Holy Spirit groans in intercession for us, and we pray continually as Jesus taught us, let your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. We're going to continue uh, with communion. I just want to encourage you, we're going to read the, the Apostles' Creed in a moment, but um, as we're going to come to the table, as, you know, as we read these words, this is just another reminder of how God has intervened. He sent his, himself, his son, to die for us, to reconcile us to himself. What we could not do in saving ourselves, he has done for us on our behalf. This is his intervention for you, for me. So let's read these words together. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who is conceived by the Holy born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From there, he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, So on the night he was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body broken for you. And he took the cup and he said, this is my blood shed for you for the forgiveness of your sins. I'm just going to pray for us and then you can feel free. For all those who decide to follow Christ, this table is for you. If it's not, we just invite you to sit in reflection. But Jesus, we just thank you for your gift. We thank you for your sacrifice. We thank you for how you've intervened like this for us and for all humanity. As we take today, we are grateful. We celebrate how you intervene on our behalf. We praise you, God. Amen. As you feel led, uh, come up and grab some communion in the front or in the back.
promises and trust in God's character that we are now sent in the power of the Holy Spirit to our regular lives, lives that may have uncertainty, may have anxiety, but lives that are always going to be filled with the hope that we have in Jesus. Amen. Thank you, everybody. We'll see you next week.